0: This morning we're going to be beginning a new book in the New New Testament titled 1st John. Now as you begin to read and study this uh, book more closely what you'll discover is that this is more of a letter than it is a book. In fact, in addition to the Gospel that John wrote and the book of Revelation, this is the first of three letters written by John. So just to give you an idea of what we're going to be doing today. Um, First, I'm going to give you a quick introduction about this book, about this letter, actually, and then afterwards, we're going to be, we're going to read John's prologue, and then I'll explain his main purpose for writing these first four verses. And then finally, I'll be sharing with you some of the deeper and more and more personal purpose behind this passage. My hope is that you'll be able to clearly understand what, exactly what John was trying to convey to his readers. I want to reassure you of the truth of the gospel concerning the word of life, so that you may have fellowship with God and with one another, and that your joy may be complete in that fellowship. So before we get into the word, um, let's open up with a word of prayer and ask the Lord. To, to speak with us. Lord God, again, we come before you in in, in in worship and thankfulness and praise, Lord, and we ask you now that you speak to us through your word. Lord, We're every day we're surrounded by, we're bombarded by just so much information from the world, from people, that sometimes your word gets drowned out Lord and right now we ask that we just drown out the world drown out the distractions of people so that we may hear from you so that we may learn from you Lord Lord speak to us in the only way you know how to Lord fill this room with your Holy Spirit Lord Lord so that our minds may be open, our hearts may be open to just receive it, Lord. Lord, speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to be in First John, First John chapter 1. And we're going to be beginning in verse 1. This is John's prologue to his letter. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. I don't know if you've ever been to court um, as a witness, Um, but when you stand as a witness or on trial, your word means everything. You might have heard the someone once say you know your word is your bond if the jurors the judge the attorneys can't trust you because you've been known to be a liar they will quickly dismiss you and they won't even they won't even use you so that's why it's important to really mean what you say that you that you're an honest that you're a person of honesty and a person of integrity your words are important and they mean a lot and here essentially What John is is trying to say is this is this is my declaration to you This is true. This is I'm declaring it to you He basically is on the stand here and he wants people to know that he's being honest with what he just said Now again, I want to give you a quick introduction about this book beginning with the author now, you may or may not know this, but there are actually, in the New Testament, there are actually five Johns that are mentioned. There's, of course, John the Baptist, that you may all be familiar with. Then there's John Mark, who was mentioned in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Then we have John, the father of Simon Peter, who was mentioned in John chapter 1, verse 42. There's also John, who was a relative of the high priest Annas who was mentioned in Acts chapter 4, verse 6. And the fifth, the fifth John is John the son of Zebedee, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. Now, it is this John that wrote this letter. Now, his name in Hebrew literally means Jehovah is gracious. And it was a, it was a common name back then as it is now. A lot of people had that name. The suggestion also from John chapter 19 verse 25 is that his mother was Salome and she was the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. Now if this was the case that would have made John and Jesus cousins. Now his father was Zebedee, a fisherman from the sea of Galilee. And from Matthew and from what we're told in Matthew 4:21, John John also had a brother named James, who had also become an apostle. Now, along with their father, both James and John were fishermen. Also, Jesus, from what Scripture tells us, the Gospels tell us, Jesus nicknamed these two brothers the sons of thunder for their apparent fiery personalities. John was present during many of the key moments during Jesus' life and ministry, including Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain, of Olives. Now in addition to this letter and the following two, John, uh, second and third John, John also wrote the fourth gospel of the New Testament and the book of Revelation. Now scholars believe that John wrote this letter between 85 and 90 AD in the city of Ephesus. It was here in Ephesus that he spent the the latter years of his life before being banished to the island of Patmos, where he wrote Revelation. Now, the readers of this letter were probably a church group or a group of churches in Asia Minor, minor, which is modern day Turkey. In addition, throughout the letter, it also appears that the readers knew John personally and were born again or longtime um, believers. For example, it was in, in a few cases, they refer, he refers to them as children. Now, John wrote this letter to Christians who were falling prey to the deceptive tools of the devil that he still commonly uses to this day to divide the people of his church. There were fights and arguments among one another. There was the love of evil things of this world. False teachers were using false doctrines to seduce Believers away from Christ. There were also doubts about a believer's salvation. And there was also a new, fairly new Gnostic belief that matter was evil and the Spirit was good. Now, within that thought, within that belief, there was this um, belief that, within that belief, there was another belief of, of, of I'm not sure if you heard of this. it, it's called Dulcetism. And what that belief said was that Jesus wasn't really a physical matter, wasn't a physical person. He was more of a spirit. Because, Because matter was evil and only the spirit was good, there was no way Jesus, being the Son of God, could be a physical person. So there was this belief going around that he was a spirit, not a physical person. So John's purpose for this letter was to be frank and stern against those who are fighting each other, to warn of the consequences of loving the evil things of this world, to warn the readers about the false teachers and encourage them to stand firm in the gospel and abide in Christ, to instill confidence in the doubters by giving, by giving them a certainty about their faith. And as I said, he, to, to clarify, as a witness, that Jesus appeared to man in a real and, human, in real and human flesh, just like you and me, that he was a real physical person. Now, before I end this brief overview, I wanna share with you two of the major themes of 1 John that provide a balance for, a living, for living a life in proper relationship to god and to one another and these are the the main themes of this entire letter and you know what i titled for for um as we go through this 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 letter the first major theme is found in first john 1 5. and that verse it says god is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him so that first theme again is god is light john is communicating that in god's light is life, truth, and reality. From there, he then focuses on how ethical living is in God's light and tells the, le- the reader to, le- to live accordingly by walking in the light of God. The second major theme is found in 1 John 4 16. God is love. Oh, there in that verse it says, God is love, and the one who remains. In love remains in God and God remains in him here John is informing the reader that God is a source and the origin of love and love is the essence of his existence and being therefore true and pure love comes from God so anyone who truly claims to know God loves God and loves Other people why because God is love God displayed this truth when he sent his son to die for the sins of the world so that they may be reconciled to him for us for you and me love is putting another in in the place of in more importance or in the place of importance above ourselves so the point of this second theme that John is making to the reader is to live in love. So the life we are to live in proper relationship to God and to one another is to walk in the light and live in love. I want you to keep these two themes in mind as we go through this entire letter. Not that we're going to be going through this entire letter this morning, but as for the next few weeks as we, as we go through it. So um, again, let me um, go through it, piece at a time, and explain to you what's, what's going on here. In verse 1, again, he says, what, we ha- what, we, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. As I briefly mentioned already, John is writing this letter to urge the Christian reader not to be led astray by others who have left the faith and reassure them that they're in the truth. John's purpose is to strengthen the believer's commitment to what they already know, the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ that they heard from the beginning. With this purpose in mind, John begins this letter by reminding believers of the origins of the Bible, how of the the gospel, of how they got the gospel. The gospel message concerning the person of Jesus Christ, who he describes as the word of life. And that's the key word here, concerning the word of life. This word of life, he writes, was from the beginning. Now, those of you who have carefully read the gospel of John may notice somewhat of a similarity between his prologue there in the Gospel and his prologue here in 1 John. In the prologue of his Gospel, he wrote, in the beginning was the Word. Now, in the context that he wrote it there, he was describing Jesus as the Word who had been in existence before time began and before the world was created. However, in the context of this letter here. The beginning has a different meaning. The expression, what was from the beginning, is the first of several statements regarding the word of life. Now, as you read on, it becomes quite clear that this word, that the, this word of life that John is referring to here is the physical person of God the Son, Jesus Christ. So what John is implying here in verse one is that the word of life in, is the word of life in the person of Jesus Christ who has existed from the beginning of eternity past. Does that make sense? I mean, this is a, a different context that he's speaking about. He's speaking about Jesus the person here. After this, he then goes on to describe his personal testimony about the Word of life. The first thing he testifies about this word of life is that what we have heard. John is expressing to the reader that he, along with the other apostles, personally heard the words of Jesus Christ. Just like I hear my wife, just like I hear my kids when they tell me something special, when they just, you know, talk to me. This is John saying, I heard. Jesus, he talked to me, we talked to each other. It wasn't like I heard it from a third person or it was hearsay. I personally heard him. The second thing that he testifies about this word of life is what we have seen with our eyes. Here, John is reinforcing the claim that his proclamation of Jesus being the word of life is a result of being an eyewitness of everything that Jesus did. He, along with the disciples, saw Jesus perform the miracles, saw Jesus resurrect Lazarus. They saw him um, feed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. He saw him. They saw him. The third thing he testified about this word of life is what we have observed. Now there doesn't, seem, there doesn't seem to appear, appear to be much of a difference between what we have seen and what we have observed. However, it's believed that John could be emphasizing, what John could be emphasizing here is that he saw Jesus is his own observations of Jesus his own personal observations just like you know when you're just staring at your kid he doesn't know you're staring at him but you're just looking at him because you're just enjoying what he's doing you're just looking at him you're paying attention to his the way he smiles and the way his eyes twinkle or she you know um, you're just He was saying, I'm just checking him out. I was just checking out Jesus, just how he was. So that makes it even more personal for him. And finally, the fourth thing John testifies about this word of life is we have touched with our own hands. His proclamation that Jesus is the word of life rests on the experience of not only seeing, but also having touched with his own hands. So for John, this was much more than just a spoken message. He wants the reader to understand and believe the truth of what he's proclaiming because he personally heard, seen, and touched the word of life. And what he's about to say throughout this letter is a, met- is a message that has been embodied in the person, in, in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. John goes, in verse 2, John goes on to say how the manifestation of the word of life was made actually and physically real. In Jesus. You see, by saying we have seen it and we testify and we declare, we declare to you, John is solemnly testifying that this was the case. As I mentioned in the beginning, it's his word. He's saying, as if he was in a courtroom, saying, This is the truth. I am not lying. This is a solemn testimony. He wants them to know that this isn't a fake news story or this isn't a fairy tale where someone would say once, you know, once upon a time, this was real. This is a real story, 100% real, 100% true. So the question is, how were the Apostles How were the apostles mere mortals, mere human beings able to experience that audible, visual, and tangible access to the divine Christ? They were able, because Christ, through an intimate relationship with the Father in eternity past, was revealed to them. Christ was revealed to them. The Messiah the Son of God was revealed to them in verse 3 John goes on to explain the reason for proclaiming what he has heard and seen he says so that you may have fellowship along with us John's purpose is to bring readers into fellowship with both God's people and with God himself The idea of fellowship is one of the most important ideas in this letter of John's. Fellowship, the ancient Greek word, kononia, speaks of sharing, communion, a common bond, and a common life. It speaks of living, breathing, sharing, loving, A loving relationship with another person it's what a the the model of a church what a church ought to be like what he what God desires his people to be like with one another to have that commonality that commonality the main commonality being Jesus Christ that deep intimate bond that common bond So, to encourage readers to persist in their fellowship with him and his good work, John reminds them that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The kind of relationship John is describing here is only possible because Jesus is who John says he is in the first two verses. You see, one cannot even have a genuine spiritual relationship with a dead man. I can't say, you know what, I have a personal relationship with Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, or I have a personal relationship with my um, deceased grandmother. I can't say that. But with the eternal God, became man we can we can absolutely have a relationship with Jesus isn't dead he's alive and we can have that intimate personal relationship with him the word fellowship has in it not only the idea of a relationship but of a sharing of a common life So the more a believer has fellowship in Jesus, the more they'll become like him. Now John ends his prologue by stating the reasons, the reason for writing verses 1 and 3. We are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. You see, the result of fellowship with Christ and with one another as believers is complete joy. Now notice that he says, joy, not happiness. You see, this joy that he's speaking about here, that he's writing about here, is an abiding sense of optimism and cheerfulness, cheerfulness based on God. Whereas happiness is a sense of optimism and cheerfulness based on circumstances. John is also reiterating a similar message that Jesus ex- had expressed to his disciples the night before he was crucified. In John fifteen eleven, Jesus told them, I have spoken these things to you so that, your, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He then said in John sixteen twenty-four, until now you have not asked and you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. And when he was in the garden, Jesus prayed in John seventeen thirteen thirteen. Now I am coming to you, speaking of the Father, and I speak these things in the world so that they, again speaking to us about believers, that they may have my joy completed in them. So here, the, the John's overall purpose for writing verses 1 through 4 was to remind his readers of the origins of the gospel This message, this was a message concerning the Word of Life. And that this is what constitutes the basis of the fellowship they share in which He wants them to continue. Now, when you read this letter, you'll also find a deeper, more personal purpose behind it. It's to bring you. Into a, into a relationship with God. In verses 1 and 2, John begins by explaining that the center of that relationship with God is Jesus Christ. In John 1.1, he writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As the eternal Word, Jesus, therefore, was God because he existed before all else and was the source and the basis of the existence of all things. When the eternal Jesus came as a man, he became accessible in the most basic way, in the most basic way so that man may know him. Jesus said in John 14:7, if you know me, you will also know my Father. So if you want to know and have a relationship with God, you must know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no other way to really know God. The world will tell you there are many ways to, to know God and to have a relationship with God. You can, do, you can do this religion, that religion, this philosophical thought, you know, that philosophical You could try this drug, that drug. If you really want to know God, there's more than, several, there's more than just one way. But Jesus is saying, no, if you want to know God, you have to know me. And in order to begin having a relationship With Jesus, you must believe in him. You must believe that he came to die for your sins and that he rose to give you eternal life. So you see, the center of that relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he offers an invitation to that relationship. There, John says, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. I'm sorry, with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This simple and bold statement means that one can have a personal relationship with God and a shared life with Him. However, that invitation to come to have a relationship must be accepted willingly and freely. God isn't going to force you. He's not going to say, come here, you're going to have a relationship with me, and we're going to to have it whether you like it or not. No, that invitation to have a relationship with God has to come from you freely. has to be, you have to want it. my wife can't force me to love her I choose to love her even when things are going horribly wrong and you know or you know we, we get into it I, I still choose to love her because she's my, she's my wife in the same way with God we have to just that's we have to choose to love him he wants us to love him all of us have the potential of a relationship of a shared life with with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It is is as if the Father, think of it this way, it is as if the Father and the Son agreed together together to let us into into their relationship of love and fellowship. Does that make sense? It's like you know, again, we've talked about the love that, and the bond that God has, that God the Son and God the Father have. There is that deep, deep love that they have for one another. And so what this is like is, is it's like God saying, hey, come and join this love. Come and be part of this love. What an amazing Thought. And I'll tell you, all of us, I know me, I want to be, I want to be in that, and I want to remain in that love. There is no greater place to be, I mean, than to be in that love, that bond that God, that God the Father has with God the Son. It's important to understand that this idea of a shared life is essential. This doesn't mean that Jesus comes into your life and he helps you to do the same things, but simply to do them better than before. You see, we don't add Jesus into our life, or we don't add Jesus to our life. We enter into relationship of a shared life with Jesus, We share our life with Him, and He shares His life with us. In verse 4, John tells us the result of that relationship, that your joy may be complete. When you begin to develop a relationship with God centered around Jesus, you also come into a spiritual fellowship with other believers and with God. And as I mentioned, the result of that fellowship is the fullness. Here it says that uh, that your joy may be complete. In other translations, it says that your joy may be full, or or that you may have the fullness of joy. But fullness of joy is certainly possible for the Christian, but by no means certain. John wrote with the desire that believers would have a fullness of joy, and if it were inevitable or very easy to have, he would have written this. Now, Pastor David Guzik, a pastor that I that I, I enjoy reading and and again, very knowledgeable man of God, wrote this regarding that. The Christian's joy is important and assaulted on many fronts. External circumstances, moods, and emotions, or sin can all take away our joy. Yet the Christian joy is not found in these things of this world and the things of this world as good as they may be or might be when John wrote about these things he wrote about this relationship of fellowship and love we can share with God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ Christian brothers and sisters don't be passive when you lose your joy there, be, there will be times when that joy won't be there. And it seems like, God, where are you? I had this joy, now it's gone. What happened, are you there? Again, the truth of the matter is he's there. He's always been there. But we can't, be, we can't remain passive. We can't just say, oh well, I lost that joy. God, I guess God must not be there. We must understand that truth. Understand the truth that he is there. He's not gone realize the importance of that joy and do everything you can to draw close to God and reclaim that fullness of joy. Now, I read this story as I was preparing this and I was trying to find a place to really fit in because I think it's, it's a good picture of what the relationship of uh, what that relationship looks like, and so um, I want to I want to read it to you at this point, and I, you may or may not have heard it. It's called the story's called the train and the boy. So it's it's not that long. I don't think it's that long. It doesn't look that long from here. So I'm um, just listen carefully to this story, the train and the boy, and the story begins like this. I would like to tell you a story about a man named John Griffith. John was the father of an eight-year-old boy during the 20s and 30s. John was very fortunate during those times because he had a job. John loved his son very much. He was the apple of his eye. John's son was a normal little boy who constantly wanted to go to work with his father. John decided he would take this boy to work with him one day. John was a bridge conductor across the Mississippi River. John was in charge of raising and lowering the bridge so that the boats could get through and the trains could pass. John's son was so amazed at the gears and all the things that went through, that went along with his father's job. They had brought their lunch to work with them one day and they decided to eat their lunch on the bank of the river. John and his son, we were eating lunch and John had realized that it, that in, a, in about three minutes the Memphis bell carrying 300 passengers was getting ready to cross the bridge but the bridge was not lowered John didn't want to alarm his son so he patted him on the shoulder and told him to sit right there and he would be right back John hustled up the stairs he grabbed the, the lever to lower the bridge and had realized that somehow his son had climbed to the bridge and had fallen between the gears and the bridge, uh, the gears of the bridge. John could hear the train coming, carrying the 300 passengers. In his mind, he started going over ways he can get his son from the gears and still lower the bridge. But he knew that he had to make a choice. John lowered the bridge just in time for the the train to to pass, crushing his son between the gears. John looked at the train passing by and saw a man reading his newspaper, a woman drinking her tea, and another talking to his wife. John screamed at the top of his lungs, hey, don't you know I've just, what I've just done for you? They didn't hear him scream. They didn't hear him, so he screamed again. Hey, don't you know what I've just done for you? But again, they just went along their lives and never, not even realizing what John had done for them. God is asking us the same question Don't you know what I've done for you? I sent my one and only son, to this earth for you. He died a terrible death, so you can spend eternity with me. Why are you going on with your busy, meaningless life? Why, why are you going on with your busy, meaningless life not serving me? And some of you have not even accepted me as your savior. I love you so much. Again, he's, a, he's saying, I, I, want, I have this relationship with my son, and I'm, this has happened, and I want to I have a relationship with you now. And this is the message, again, that, that he's trying to convey, <laughs> that God is trying to convey to us, to humanity. So as I conclude, let me ask you a question. Do you have a relationship with with God centered around Jesus Christ? If your answer is yes, be strengthened in that relationship by remaining in fellowship with God and with other believers so that your joy may be complete, and if your answer is no, then let me tell you that God is offering you an invitation to have that fellowship with him today. All you've got to do is just willingly accept that invitation that he offers through his son, Jesus Christ. But you must begin by realizing you're a sinner. Recognize that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Repent. Of those sins and receive Jesus into your life when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior you're brought into a fellowship with God and with all other Christian believers listen I mentioned a little bit of this before but listen to the prayer of Jesus in the Mount of Olives, right before he was arrested. And think again, he was in deep anguish. The Bible tells us that he was in such anguish that he was sweating drops of blood. And this is what he prayed regarding those who who come to believe in him. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be as one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they, may they be completely one so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved me, and have loved them as you have loved me." If you've never had that fellowship, if you've never had that relationship and want to have it, in a minute I'm going to close up in prayer and, and I'll lead you in a prayer to accept Jesus into your heart. Wherever you're at, if you're watching this message or if you're listening, you can have that. He offers that invitation. Again, all you have to do is accept that he wants, again, he wants to have that relationship with you, but you have to be willing to to, to take it. You have to be willing to come, come to God and recognize, again, what he's done for you. So please, uh, at this time, bow your heads, close your eyes as we close the word of prayer. I thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for showing us through this letter, through John's words, that we can have an intimate relationship, a shared life together with you and with your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing us who you are. And again, the fellowship that you want to have with us. And showing us that what you want as we have that fellowship is for our joy to be complete. Lord, again, it just, it's, it blows my mind to know to read about what you've done for us your great love for us and I worship and glorify you for it Lord and right now I want to just speak to those who have never had that relationship and want to have it know their need for it. And if that's you and you're listening, wherever you're at, just in the quietness of your heart, with a deep sincerity, pray this prayer. Lord God, I know I'm a sinner. Please, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know that I've done a lot of horrible things. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive me and to free me from those sins, Lord. I believe in Jesus. I believe He is the Son of God. that forgiveness that comes through His sacrifice. Thank You for forgiving me. And I ask now that You fill me with the Holy Spirit so that He may guide me and strengthen me to do what is right in your eyes. Thank you again for making me your child. And thank you for forgiving me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that, believe, have that assurance that you're forgiven. God has forgiven you of your sins. And you'll be with him for all eternity. Lord, I pray for those that are here, are hearing this message. May you also just strengthen them wherever they're at in their lives, Lord. May they find joy in, in, in their fellowship with you and fellowship with other believers, Lord. Fill them also with your spirit, Lord. Guide them, show them, surround them with other believers so that they may understand that joy more, more clearly. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this time. We pray that you just bless this next time of fellowship. Pray these things in Jesus' name.